Welcome to The Wrong Kind of Mad. Okay, so this is a bit where we kind of um, think about the upcoming podcast as if we didn't only record it a couple of days ago. Yeah, why do we do it in this in this weird order? Why don't we actually do this before we do the podcast? I mean, that would be really sensible. Um, yeah, do you want to just whack your time machine on then? And we'll go back. <laughs> <and> do- <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Yeah, looking at where we are at the moment, I think for this one, we're at least going to have to do this bit right now rather than in the past. I mean, in some ways, this was the easiest one we've ever done because this is just what we talk about all the time, isn't it? Hang on. Is this the introduction or like the outro? Because I think we're at cross purposes now because it sounded like we were starting with it being an introduction. You've not really introduced it. It's like you've skipped to the end. Okay, uh, all right then. Do it properly then. <laughs> Kia, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about a report that the British and Irish Group for the Study of Personal Disorder has put out around the use of private out-of-area placements for people with a diagnosis of personality disorder. Good. Why did they do that? Why did they put the report out? Um, I just think it's an area that people have been a bit concerned about. But actually, I think they did the report because there was a worry about people being stuck in placements for years on end. Um, But actually, the report looks a bit more at acute out-of-area placements, so like those times when somebody goes, I don't know, to the trust down the road for a fortnight. which, you know, is not ideal, but it's not what people are tearing their hairs out trying to, uh, trying to end. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, you, we, we can talk about the disappointment about what the data did show and what it didn't, and then the worries about what it didn't. That's what we're doing today. Lovely stuff. And that's it, is it? <laughs> <laughs> It's been a long time since we've done this, and I don't know where else we go with that from from there on in. I don't know what. This report, which uh, has been sponsored by Big Spud, yeah, as a project grant. Someone's gone off and done some research. Yeah. And you've been part of it, Yeah. So out of area placements for people with a personality disorder diagnosis in England. It's a snappy title, isn't it? It's, we want it succinct and easily memorable. Um, it, it comes up with quite a use, uh, useful acronym, actually. Doesn't, does it? No. No, no, it doesn't. No, so um, Vanessa Jones uh, did a research project to send out a load of freedom of information requests to the CCGs of England, um, generally asking them about how they use placements and what they spend, the diagnosis of the people that they use them for, um, how long do they last, do people go there under compulsion, Do people get discharged into specialist teams when they come back? So she sent out all of those freedom of information requests and and didn't hear a lot back, really. Uh, 
So while all the CCGs, the clinical commissioning groups who would be funding placements, um, while they all got the requests and they are obliged to provide data to NHS England every month about their use of placements, they didn't provide a lot of data to Vanessa. Um, so there's, yeah, part of what we learned is that people don't reply to this stuff and the people who do reply don't actually reply in detail to every question. So there's a lot that's not known. So can you give us an overview of what is in this report? Oh, that seems like uh, a lazy way of you not asking penetrative questions. Well, there, I'll uh, get to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, right, why, why don't we uh, start with, you weren't initially involved in this, were you? But, but for some reason, Kia Harding decided the, the world needs more of it. <laughs> oh, this well, is something to get involved with. Well, this is a topic that I'm really passionate about. Um, so Vanessa went off and did her project, and she brought it back to the British and Irish Group for the Study of Personality Disorder, saying, "This is the work that I have done." And then Big Spud wanted to turn that piece of work into a report that could be given to commissioners, politicians, people of influence, so that there, there would be an idea about the, maybe some of the concerns that we have about this way of treating people, but also the amount of money that we're spending on a way of treating people that a lot of people are a bit concerned about. Um, so being on the committee of Big Spurs, when they were saying, does anybody want to contribute towards writing this stuff? I was pretty keen uh, to make sure that, that I got in there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel obliged to kind of defend why, why I was in there. Um, I mean, one of the things that I think I definitely brought to it is... When people talk about placements, they find it really difficult to distinguish between a inappropriate placement, which the government has committed to ending, um, which could be a night in the trust next door because your local acute ward is full up. So inappropriate placements like that, the government's committed to ending them. But I get really worried about somebody going off to a unit that describes itself a specialist personality disorder unit, staying there for three years, that place not feeling they can help anymore, transferring them to somewhere else, they stay there another two years. And that wouldn't be regarded as an inappropriate placement. Uh, but those are the placements that I get worried about. So I wanted to make sure that I could kind of contribute to the report so that we were thinking about both of those areas and certainly making sure that we either kind of worked out what was happening in those long-term placements or we could be quite emphatic saying we, we don't know what's happening with people who are stuck in that situation. Um, so that's a bit of what we came up with, I think, that we, we just don't know. There are people stuck in this system that we don't know about at a cost that would definitely be very hard to think about. So, so what is it that you did find out? So, again, right, it's really hard to separate the data that we got from those acute placements and the more long-term rehab ones. Um, and I think we're guessing 
that we got on NICS. Um, so within that, we did learn that almost all of the placements are provided in the private sector. Uh, so 99% of those placements were provided in the private sector. Um, we learned that almost nobody comes out of placement and goes into a specialist personality disorder team or complex emotional needs team or specialist team of any kind. Um, we learned that the people providing placements in the private sector to companies provide 70% of the placements. And what else did we learn? We learned that there's just not a lot of data out there. So if we think about, you know, we're not fans of diagnosis, but borderline personality disorder, the diagnosis most associated with childhood trauma, the idea that up to 80% of people who get that diagnosis have lived through abuse of some kind. So we have got a system full of people who have lived through some horrible experiences in their lives, getting told their personalities are disordered, getting stuck in a system that exports them all over the country to units that say that they're specialists, but we don't know how many of them there are. We don't know how long they're staying. We don't know the cost of it. But we can estimate, because the CQC tell us that we spend about 535 million a year on mental health rehab, with two thirds of that being in the private sector. You know, we, there's some eye-watering sums being spent on care that people are concerned about for people who certainly deserve better than this. Okay. Go on. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, why is it? Why is it that this data isn't seen as worth keeping? or exploring or holding on to? Because it, from the report, it sounds like that um, there's no consistency in the way that this data is recorded. So people, like how, why they're admitted isn't recorded or it's recorded differently and their diagnosis either is or isn't recorded. So you don't really know anything, mm-hmm. but, but why? Why isn't the, isn't the way that the recorded data, why isn't it standardized? What what function does that serve for people? <laughs> so there's a couple of things in there, I think, right? So um, NHS England wants to end those inappropriate placements. Now, we can argue about the definition of inappropriate, but they want to end them. So they have told CCGs to report on that data, right? So in, in one respect, some data is being collected. And then why aren't we collecting data on those other kind of placements? Because there isn't the push to do it. Um, So no one cares? Um, Well, I mean, mean, that is an interpretation, isn't it? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then we can start saying, you know, half a billion pounds, pretty soon you're talking about real money, you know? And it, it is interesting that we can spend half a billion pounds on mental health rehab without knowing who is where and what is being provided. I mean, that's worrying for me, you know, it's, it's worrying for me in terms of what, what are people living through and what are my taxes paying for, you know? There's, yeah, and are people recording the outcomes of that? Not, not obviously, do you know? I mean, it, that certainly didn't how, come how through. How do people know if it's worth doing or not then? If there's no outcome measure, how do people... 
So this Why? certainly isn't a standardised outcome measure. You know, and our experience of placements is generally, you know, do people stop doing the thing that they were put in there for? And do they live a better life once they're out? That's the measures that seem to be in place. But, you know, it's very anecdotal and subjective, that, isn't it? Um, you know, and, and I could probably kind of start ranting about, oh, nobody cares about people who get this diagnosis. They get, to quote Norman Lamb, funded and forgotten. Um, and then I kind of have to think, oh, does, does that just apply to people with this diagnosis? Is that all of the people who get exported into the private sector? Um, and perhaps it is, but I just think that the people that we work with have a tendency to be actively forgotten about that little bit more. Yes. No, but I think I think that's true. I think it it again, I think it serves a function for organizations not to keep that data on people. Yeah, well, it is really difficult to try and think why would we spend half a billion pound a year on something and not really know what we're spending it on? And, you know, I, I'm not a politician. Perhaps we have got all sorts of places where we're spending that amount of money and not really keeping that much tabs on it. But it's still worrying. Yeah. So who does the data cover? What does the data cover that you've found? So it probably covers people going to those more acute placements with some of the CCGs putting in some of the longer term ones as well, but we just can't separate them. Um, so we know that a certain amount of people with personality disorder diagnosis went on placements. We've got some data about how long they lasted. We've got some data about the majority of them being compulsory rather than people going informally. And we've got some data about people coming back and not going into specialist teams. But the biggest thing that we know is that we don't know very much. And that should change. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I suppose there's other things that kind of come out um, that read, they're not in the data, but they're just in the ether around this kind of issue. So the big thing that we always talk about somebody goes to a specialist personality disorder unit. What is a specialist personality disorder unit? It's a place that says it's a specialist personality disorder unit. You need nothing else to be able to award yourself that title. And the CQC will go along and they will look at, well, is this a decently run generic unit? But as we frequently experience, you don't have to dig very hard to kind of think, Actually, the psychology provision here is uh, there's no qualified psychologist. There's, uh, the, the interventions are being run by people who aren't qualified in those interventions. And, and they seem to be getting less psychological input than they would have had if they were in the community. What is going on there? But we don't see that kind of what is going on response from those CQC inspections uh, all the time. So there is that kind of worry about if there is no standardization for a specialist unit, what are we paying for? Um, and arrogantly, I think you and I can walk into a unit and kind of have a sniff about and get a sense as to whether there's some expertise there or not. But I don't know 
if your average care coordinator can do that when they roll up to a CPA. I don't know if your average commissioner can do that when they But then I don't think your average CQC inspector can either. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and and I'm sure the QC do a great job in rooting out abuses and all sorts. But yeah, I don't know if there is that specialist knowledge to look at a unit that claims to be specialist. Um, one of the other things that was in the data as well is that there's not an agreement beforehand about how long an admission is going to last. Um, and I suppose with an acute admission, you'd probably expect that, yeah, that you'd kind of say, take this person until they get better. It's an acute admission. But with those ones that last two years, three years, you know, you would hope that somebody is saying, I want you to take this person and do this piece of work and then bring them back when that piece of work is completed. But my experience in the NHS is a lot more um, asking the specialist provider to come in and kind of saying, what can you do? What can you do for them? And they'll say, oh, they need this. this." It's like like a car mechanic who sucks his teeth and goes, oh, going to need a bit of DBT there, mate. And trauma, trauma therapy, oh, it's going to cost. There's a bit of that going on. Our commissioners are told what is needed as opposed to specialist clinicians assessing what is needed and sourcing that specialist intervention. Um, And I think one of the worries is that if you've got two companies providing 70% of the input, there's not that competition to bring about brilliant specialist services. It's Mm -hmm. to provide beds where, where people can go. Um, yeah yeah and there's not there's not much of an incentive to provide that specialist provision is there if they've already taken up 70 percent of the market like they're that they're already winning (laughs) like there's no one's gonna start saying oh now we actually need to do something different when they're already monopolizing a huge huge amount of of the market And you have to have people who are informed enough to say, we need to do something different. Because if your only gauge of whether something is specialist or not is that somebody says that they're specialist, then your default is, oh, well, they've gone to the specialist placement and they haven't done very well. Bad people for not responding to the specialist input. Whereas somebody who's... um, genuinely got expertise in that area can kind of say well of course they haven't responded to being confined in an environment with less psychological input than they would have got in the community of course they haven't responded to that that makes sense but that, that's, that's right. traumatizing. Yeah. well yeah so you know um <clears throat> we have written elsewhere about is the market to provide specialist services or is the market to contain risky people in a different environment from their locality so that they can be dangerous somewhere else and somewhere else gets the blame for it and I think very few people say I want this person to be dangerous somewhere else so I'm going to get a placement but I do think that that really, really influences the thinking about whether somebody needs to be sent away or not. So, the report then, um, 
I guess one of my questions is about lived experience input and how that worked. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are five authors listed on um, the author sheet title page. Um, and those authors contain a mix of clinical, academic, and lived experience of specialist services. Um, so it's like it's not my job to tell anybody people's stories, but you know there, there's there is a mix within that. Um, what this report does that hasn't been in any of the other reports around placements before is, is take some of that lived experience and put it at the front of the report. So there are four people who kindly shared some of their experiences of being in placements. Um, and in a way that sets some of the tone for the rest of the report. What did, uh, what did you think about reading those experiences? Uh, I mean, it's harrowing. It's 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 a really difficult um, read. That the experiences that people have had in those environments are shocking, and I mean, they're still shocking to me now. Even though we work with people that have been in those environments, and we have worked with people whilst they've been attached to those environments, so it's not that we don't know what happens there. Um, but it's still really shocking. Yeah. But but the thing is, I, I often feel like the um, the harms of specialist placements can sometimes feel like our little fantasy. And, yeah. You know, there is something about reading yeah. it written down somewhere that kind of, I don't know, make, makes you feel like you're not a fraud or an imposter or, or suddenly the world is starting to make sense around this. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that when we when we do training or kind of out of area days, there are always some staff that truly believe that, you know, they have had someone in their care that they've sent off to placement and it's been the best thing for them. Mm. Um, but we rarely hear from the people that have been to placement and that it has been useful and it has been effective. Mm. And I wonder if there is something about sending people away and the intervention that that provides for other people rather than the individual and that's all that people think about and hear about and not the harm that people come to in those environments and, and definitely we've written about you know <clears throat> in some ways is placement a bit of respite for the local team um, and is placement a place where people just get massively sedated and mm -hmm. You know, in some ways, that is the intervention. Yes, they go quiet for 18 months, but then do they come back straight to the problems that led to their going away in the first place? But with a team that thinks, oh, well, they've had 18 months of specialist intervention and they're still no better I than assholes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of that. I suppose, you know, we have to kind of say we didn't do a systematic trawl for a representative sample of people who have been to placements. We asked people to contribute their experiences and probably with the work that I do and, you know, the work of others who ask people to contribute, we are more likely to meet people who've had a negative experience than a positive one. And there must be people with positive experiences out there. Um, so, you know, 
those lived experience voices at the front of the report, that's not research. That's just a snapshot. Other opinions are available. <laughs> yes. One of the things that was um, one of the, the, the highlights for me, you know, one of the things I really like that the report um, illuminates is that the NHS has rid itself of any obligation to provide inpatient services for the people that we work with. Um, so there are probably 40 odd specialist NHS beds for people who get a personal disorder diagnosis. Um, and I would say that those places are genuinely specialist. You know? So we think about Springbank, we think about the castle, we at least know that they're places where people get intensive training and supervision, and they've really got that kind of collaborative, non-restrictive um, mentality when nice working with people. Guidelines. And they fit with nice guidelines, yeah. You know, and <clears throat> that's the easy thing to do if you want to offer a good service, follow the nice guidelines. Um, but it's, you know, <clears throat> I've been to tribunals where people say, well, it's very hard to follow the nice guidelines in an environment like this. Well, well change your environment then. <clears throat> um, but yeah, you know, the NHS, without any consultation, without any debate, has just slowly over time thought people who have a personality disorder diagnosis do not belong in our inpatient system anymore. We will not provide specialist services to them. This is now the job of some of the huge um, private mental health care companies to provide. And I don't think we do that for other diagnoses. I, I, I don't think the NHS would say, we're not treating cancer anymore. We're going to outsource that. You know, we, we wouldn't do it. And why have we done it for this client group? Um, you know, it probably takes us back to some of those ideas about, well, why does this client group often get quite poor care? Because um, we've got a stigma and attitudes around them. And you have to wonder whether that has insidiously influenced the privatization of inpatient care for that client group. I didn't vote for it. No. <laughs> no. But as it says in the... Uh... In the introduction, it's a hidden scandal that hopefully will be less hidden after this. Yeah, well, you know, it is, it's a drum that we have banged for a long time, is it? And very few people have danced along. Um, <laughs> <coughs> but yeah, it is a scandal. And, you know, for all of the stories you can tell about poor experiences of care and re-traumatization and years of detention. Often that doesn't have an impact. 535 million pound a year, that, that might have an impact. Yeah, that might motivate somebody, do you know? And because I think part of, I think, the debate that will come out of this is that these inpatient places should be better. Um, and I think a lot of our work is along the lines of people shouldn't be anywhere near units like this in the first place. You know, we do not need to impose massive restriction on people. If we do, if we just want to keep people alive for a bit, then maybe we do want to do that. But we don't need to do that for three years, four years and move them all over the country while we do it. Um, 
So I really, I really wouldn't want people to come out of this and think, right, those units have to be better. I would really want people to think about what is our push to export this group of people into containment, often hundreds of miles away from home. And if we can understand that, what do we do to ameliorate that rather than just make that process different? Boom. Boom. <coughs> Sorry, is that it? <laughs> oh, I thought so. No? Is, is there more? Have you got more? Um, well, what else can I say? Uh, well, now I'm just kind of like sermonising at you, isn't it? Uh, so if this is coming out on Tuesday, which it should do, then there's a BBC thing on tonight um, where you will hear me and uh, Jorge, um, who's the main author of the report, talking about mental health units in general and the people, um, the patients who contribute to that Radio 4 programme are people who would get a personality disorder diagnosis. Um, so that is worth checking out if people uh, want to hear a bit more about this. Um, there's a mental health blog about it today. There should be a bit of coverage in some, some papers as well, uh, and maybe on the BBC, uh, so they can check that out. Um, so I'll say that. Obviously, if people are listening to this six months later, this is utterly irrelevant, isn't it? Well, I mean, you know, have a Google. You'll find it. I don't know. find it. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll edit this bit because this is clunky. <laughs> so I suppose another one of the things that could come out of this is, you know, we've got the British and Irish Group for the Study of Personality Disorder conference coming up. Um... And I know me and you want to go there and talk about our work in offering an alternative to placements um, and just, just showing how a different approach can keep somebody in the community um, almost self-harm free, certainly admission free. Um, and that, you know, that, that can provide a bit of a counter argument to people saying they have to go, they have to go to a specialist unit. Hopefully there'll be a bit of a debate with people who provide specialist placements as well. Because um, I realise that, you know, we are very anti-placements and we, we might have lost a little bit of balance in there somewhere. So it'd be good to hear um, somebody who was a real advocate of that way of working articulately um, defending and, and promoting it and, you know, being able to kind of challenge and rebut uh, some of the things that they might say um, equally with, uh, with the work we do. So hopefully that will come up in the future. Um, but yeah, yeah, that might be all I have to say about placements and that report. <laughs> Good. Well, well thanks. Well, it wasn't quite the Paxman-like savaging I was expecting. <laughs> I mean, why would it be? Well, well, you never know. Never know. I, I love placements, Keir. I think more people should be sent there. Yeah. Oh, do you know, well, what is, what's that thing we got accused of? Like the one, yeah, it was like, oh, we only want to stop people going to placements because we can make money out of it. And... Um, 
And I think it's, it's understandable that people would have that view. And we can't, we can't deny that, yes, we, people pay us not to, you know, for people that aren't sent to placement and, and come to us instead. That is the reality. However, we didn't, we didn't start doing this work because we thought, oh, this will be a nice little earner. But because we were horrified by the treatment that people receive, mm. and if we do something differently to stop that from happening and allow people to hold autonomy and power in their own lives and give them a treatment that does meet nice guidelines, then, then that feels like it is worth doing. Mm. And I mean, it's stressful, isn't it? It it's, is stressful. It's an easy way to make money. <laughs> But, but I think the other point is that we we tried to do this in the NHS. We tried to yeah. bring about... They didn't uh, want it! Well, yeah. We, we tried to bring about more relational approaches in the NHS and less coercive ways of responding to people's distress. And sometimes it couldn't be heard and sometimes it was vitriolically opposed. Um, Partly because of who we were, I think, you know, and, and yeah. this, this wasn't stuff we did together, but like, you know, just no. of our titles and background, our um, ideas weren't worth as much as other people's. And, and I think we worked in organisations that were quite scared and our suggestions didn't really bring that anxiety down. It asked them to tolerate a bit more. And, and I think... The culture within those organisations was, or, or placement is, is always an option. Mm. And in some cases, almost like a first option, not a last resort. Yeah. If this person is difficult, they need to be elsewhere. And I think that, again, that fits with something um, when, I think you came to it, when we did that conference in Cardiff and people talked about the privatisation of personality disorder, this idea that local services didn't think they had a role in helping this client group. So if your behaviour went above somebody's threshold, then you went to a inverted commas specialist personality disorder service. If you didn't hit that threshold, there was nothing for you. Um, you know, and, and that fits with me working with a CMHT who would either refer people to a specialist service or not accept the referral. There was nothing in between. <clears throat> you, know, you, you can see how that culture develops in an organisation that thinks it has nothing to offer this client group and helping staff feel that they can be useful, that they have something useful to offer is imperative because otherwise we'll either keep locking the doors to people or keep locking them in places, um, both of which are fairly unacceptable, I would say. Okay. Right, on that happy note, um, you will have a link to the report in the notes that go with this. Uh, we'll link you to some other stuff as well. Check out the Radio 4 stuff. As ever, if you've got any thoughts about this, email us at thewrongkindofmad at gmail.com. Catch us on Twitter, uh, wrongkindofmads. Drop us a... You, you, you can just Google us. We're, we're pretty easy to find. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. This, this was a real labour of love for both of us. This is something that we are 
so passionate about it's untrue so the more people can take interest in and make noise if you totally disagree with us tell us that as well you know we will we will debate this we're happy to do that but thanks for listening bye bye